Brielle. Read our scriptures for us this morning from the prophet Isaiah and then from Luke chapter 12. Good morning. Um, So from Isaiah, it'll be uh, chapter 1, 1 verse 10 to 20. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Azza, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, your rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incest is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Please the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall not be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And from Luke, it's chapter 12, verse 32 to 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants who master find them, masters find them ready, even if comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what your hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Thank you, Brielle. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's three boys in school, and they're uh, bragging about their fathers. And one of them says, you know, my dad, he's a poet. He writes a few words on a paper, he turns it in, and he gets $50. Another kid says, well, I can beat that. My dad's a songwriter. 
And he writes some words on a piece of paper, scribbles it down, and he gets $100 for every song he writes. Another boy says, well, let me tell you, my dad's a preacher. He writes a few words on a paper, calls it a sermon, and then it takes four people to collect all the money. <laughs> so we'll see. Milt, are you, am I coming through on the mic? You hear me okay? All right, great. I thought maybe then, uh, Tony, what do you think? Well, Tony's not here. We went down to fellowship time, right? Ushers, what do you think? We'll, we'll, we'll collect the offering after the sermon. And we'll, we'll see, right? We'll see how, see how that rates. Friends, I'm going to stand here today and I'm going to make a confession to all of you. I am not a very patient person. I, I'm not <laughs> join the club, Nelson says. How many of you can relate Do you find waiting difficult? We live in a world, don't we, where um, we, we, we expect, we want instant gratification. No need to save up for a purchase, just use a credit card, you can have it now. No need to wait too long for your meal, you can drive through your car, through a drive through and get your food almost instantly. All around us, commercials, Uh, advertisements, the message to us, right, is you don't need to wait. You can have what you want now. Sometimes if we're in the doctor's office or waiting for an appointment and it takes 5, 10, 15 minutes in the waiting room, how many of you will admit to getting a little bit antsy? Waiting is difficult, isn't it? I don't like to wait. Now, there's waiting that we sometimes have to do, like we sit in a doctor's office and we wait, or drop your car off, you've got to wait for it to, to be repaired. Then there's other kinds of, of waiting, isn't there? Maybe you've been to the doctor and you've got to wait for a phone call with the test results. Maybe someone you love has taken a trip and you're just waiting to hear news that they arrived safely. Maybe some of you have experienced a a loved one transitioning on to eternal life and there's waiting there. Friends, every day all around us we're we're waiting. We're waiting for something. And I don't know about you, but I have found in my life if I have eyes to see and ears to hear, it's often in the waiting that God can show up. That God can speak to us, and perhaps in a way that we would not have been able to receive any other way. But when we're waiting, when we are forced, probably often, maybe against our will, to stop, to wait, that's when God can speak to us clearly. Brielle read two scriptures for us this morning from the prophet Isaiah and from the gospel according to Luke. And in the, in the lectionary, which is a cycle of church readings every three years, you end up going through the whole Bible. For, today's, uh, for Sunday, we're given these two readings from the prophet Isaiah and from Luke chapter 12. Now at first glance, they may seem disparate. You may have heard those and wonder, maybe do, they, do those relate to each other? I think if we sit with them for just a few moments, we'll find a point of connection. And we'll see something about this theme of waiting. 
So the prophet Isaiah, who's writing in the middle part of the 8th century here in chapter 1, there are rumors of wars. There's this superpower to the northeast of Israel called Babylon. And they're growing, they're strong, they have a big army, and there are rumors that they might come down into Israel, into the divided kingdom, there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, um, and to conquer and to to take the people away into captivity. So the prophet Isaiah, uh, God calls him up to speak to the people of Israel in this time. And do you hear the very beginning here, it's an indictment, isn't it? Those were harsh words that Brielle read from the prophet. Harsh words. Where Yahweh, God says, your offerings, your worship, that's nothing to me. In fact, if you listen carefully, God is repulsed by it. He's repulsed by it. The forms of religion behind which these people have hidden in an attempt, I think, to to obscure the reality of their hearts. Friends, I think that we can relate. Sometimes it's easy to hide behind the externalities of religious faith so that we don't have to deal with what's really going on in here, in our heart. And that's what these people have done. They've done everything technically correct. They've worshipped properly in the temple. They've followed ritual. They've done everything prescribed to them in their worship. But guess what? Their hearts were turned against God. Even though outwardly everything looked proper and correct, inwardly, they were far from God. God sees it. God levies this indictment, saying it's repulsive to him, because even though everything is technically correct, they have forgotten this vital piece, that what we do here in this building, what they did there in the temple, our gathered worship, our prayers, our scripture reading, our music, none of it matters if it does not result in a transformed heart and life that shows itself in ministry to the world. In fact, that's what, that's what Isaiah said. I don't, want you, I don't want your offerings, God said. I want justice, mercy. You've forgotten about the poor and the widows and the oppressed. It's not that the, the forms of worship were wrong. No, they were correct. They were doing it all right. But their heart was wrong. And what Isaiah is speaking to the people is that the two need to come together. The the things that we do in worship, all of that is good, but it needs to lead to a particular end. It needs to, uh, to use a biblical phrase, it needs to show forth fruit. There needs to be something to show for it. And for Isaiah speaking to the people, it is seen in acts of mercy and justice, particularly to those whom society is cast aside, those for whom life could be made incredibly difficult, poor, orphans, widows. And so Isaiah offers this 
this scathing indictment to the people. And then as you go through the prophet Isaiah, and we're going to hear readings from Isaiah over the next several weeks, we see something here that, that, that God, if you notice this, it starts in harsh judgment. And just when you think that there's no hope, God says, God always offers hope, always offers a chance. Return. Come back. Change your heart. Change your life. God offers that to them. Then we have the reading from the Gospel according to Luke. This wonderful Scripture with this familiar verse, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can we we say that together? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see the connection that, that Jesus is making for us that Luke records today? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now when you came into this building this morning, I bet you didn't realize, but you have something vitally important in common with every other person in this building. When you walked into worship today, everybody here, myself included, whether we know it or not, every moment of the day, we are worshiping something or someone. This morning, each one of us gathered here, we're worshiping someone or something. And often, to get an indication of where someone's heart is, all you have to do is look at priorities, values. To what does someone... To what do you, to what do I, give our very best selves? What do we love and treasure more than anything? Friends, that will tell us where our hearts are. Everyone in this building, we're worshiping someone or something. Now that could be status, could be fame, it could be wealth. It could be making a good name for yourself so that when you walk into a place, people people look at you. People respect you. Again, go back to the world around us. Look at the way that the world's values are communicated to us. You can see something about where the world's heart is. Where treasure is. Well, after uh, Jesus offers that, he, he, he extends into two uh, very brief parables. Now, we spent a few weeks looking at parables, so maybe when you, when you heard those, you, you could apply some, some principles about Jesus' uh, teaching in parables. He offers these two parables that are about that thing that I mentioned I hate doing. Waiting. Waiting. He offers these two parables about waiting. Friends, here's a core central truth of the Christian faith. We say it every time we celebrate communion. We affirm it in our creeds. We believe it. Hopefully we live our life in light of it. And that is this truth, that as the communion liturgy says, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ what? Will come again. We say that, we believe it, we affirm that. How that will look, we don't know. But we believe it. That one day Christ will return and all that is wrong will be set right. As as, uh, John the Revelator says in 21, 
God will wipe away every tear from, eye, from our eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning, crying, and pain will be no more. We look forward to that new reality where heaven and earth become one. Yes, we believe it. We're in that waiting period. However, I want us to think about waiting in just a bit of a different way today that I think applies to this theme of where our heart is. Every day, you and I have an opportunity, don't we? Well, we're doing something, whether we realize it or not, but we have an opportunity to think deeply about it. Every day, you and I are pointing to someone or something, where our heart is, what we value, what we treasure, what the object the person or the thing that is the object of our worship. Every day as we live our lives, we are pointing others around us through what we say and what we do to what we believe has ultimate meaning. And friends, as we're in this time of waiting, in a sense, every day we are waiting. We're living in this in-between time of the first advent, Christ being born and God incarnate coming into the world and what we call the second advent, Christ coming again. We live in this waiting time, this in-between time, as we go about our lives and do all that we must do from day to day. We're also waiting. And here's my question for you. As we're waiting, as we're in this in-between time, by what we say and what we do, what are we communicating to the world around us? Are we showing others that that we love Jesus, that we follow Him, that He has ultimate allegiance in our lives, that He is the true object of worship? Is that where our heart is? Or is it somewhere else? Friends, every day we have this opportunity. Now the ancient, uh, the, the, the Israelites, the people to whom Isaiah was speaking, they lost it, didn't they? They lost track. Now, if, you, if you're familiar with the Old Testament narrative, it's this continual uh, back and forth. God's people are faithful. They come close to Him. They do things that are pleasing to Him. And then they fall away. And then God offers opportunity after opportunity through the patriarchs and the law, through the kings, or judges, kings, and then through the prophets. God is constantly calling the people back to faithfulness to Him, which is shown in how they live. And for a while they get it, and then they fall away. And often after turmoil, after judgment, after hardship and difficulty, perhaps even captivity, when they come back, they're faithful again. And then they lose their way again. Do you recognize in that a common human pattern? Isn't that us? I'll put myself right there. This is us, isn't it? This constant journey of faithfulness and unfaithfulness. Commitment and non-commitment. Being true, doing what we know is right, living by mercy and justice and compassion, and then looking after our own interests and needs and wants over those around us. This constant back and forth. That seems to be the human condition. But Isaiah tells us this. 
even in the midst of all of that, God is still there. God hasn't changed. We change, don't we? God is faithful. God doesn't change. And God calls us back to faithfulness. So we have that truth on one hand. And on the other, in this reality as Christians, as we live in this waiting time, we're called to wrestle with this question. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? For the ancient Israelites in this period of time, their heart was far from God, even though everything on the outside looked proper and correct. And we see the same friends as as Jesus journeys around the Galilean region, and He calls people. We also see this fundamental condition of the heart, that it is so easy to look right on the outside, but internally to be far from God. Do you see in Jesus as He's journeying and teaching, it's the down and out. It's the the women. It's the little children. It's the sick. Those are the ones who are so attracted to Jesus. Because they know, perhaps, that there's nothing that they can do. And when society has abandoned them, there's hope in Jesus. And often it's the ones who, just like the Israelites in Isaiah's time, it's those who are good, uh, good priests, good Levites, good worshipers in the temple. Everything on the outside looks right. But their hearts are far from God. Friends, this morning's Scripture is not warm and fuzzy, is it? This is one where this gets down to real stuff where we're called to wrestle and grapple with some of the deepest spiritual realities with which we could wrestle. It's personal today, isn't it? Where is your heart? In my life, your life, in our life together as a church, by what we say and what we do, to whom or to what are we pointing? Is it to Jesus? Or is it to something else? Friends, my heart and your heart today is somewhere. There is something to which we are giving our allegiance, our very best self. And constantly we have a choice. We're good Wesleyans. We believe in freedom of choice. We can choose to serve God. To follow Jesus Christ. Through His Spirit. To be people of justice and mercy and compassion. Or we can give our heart to someone or something else. But let me let you in on a little secret. One that is shown in the whole biblical narrative, and I bet we can attest to in our own lives. That someone or something else will always let us down. Jesus Christ never will. Amen.